All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time with all of you, my friends, near or far, wherever you are, some of you in other parts of the country, some of you in other parts of the world, some of you joining us for the very first time. And if you are, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco, and I'm so happy you're with us. As many of you are aware, we're sharing a series that we've called Abide. And it has everything to do with this whole idea of, you know, cultivating the inner life with Jesus. We're talking about really how each of us has been invited into a deeper life with Christ. I mean, we were created in Christ Jesus to grow. Anybody who's made a decision to follow Jesus and welcome him into their lives, you've signed up for the growing life. Whether you realize it or you're in or not, it's, it's, uh, it's something that we are committed to for the rest of our life and into the next. I mean, we're all about growth. We're all about becoming more and more conformed to his image, his beautiful example that we've been given that with the help of his Holy Spirit, we can become increasingly Christ-like in the way we live and love and make our decisions, the way we forgive and give, the way we choose to respond to things that are hard. All of these things are affected by uh, the growing life that we've been invited into. You know, even our past, uh, the experiences we've had, the way we were shaped, the way we grew up, our family ways, all of those things uh, can be changed in a more positive way when we allow the Lord to work in our lives. And so even now, Lord Jesus, I just wanna welcome you into this time. We wanna keep our hearts open to you. We wanna say we're willing to keep learning and growing in your name. We pray for this, this time that we're about to share together in Jesus' name. Hey, I wanna go back to the wonderful 15th chapter of John's gospel and just begin and pick up with the words of Jesus. We've been sitting with them for these past few weeks and I wanna revisit them again and talk about how Jesus is our best friend. Verse eight, Jesus said this, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And what is a disciple but a, a disciplined one that is a committed follower. The Christian life is meant to be lived, not at the surface, but in the deep waters. It's a soul thing. It's something that's going to call us to have a, an expansiveness to us, right? We're invited into that. Jesus said this, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. He's talking to his disciples right now. Remember the moment of the cross is about to happen and he's giving him his thoughts, his final words, if you will, words that we get to embrace as our own for all time. But he finishes that statement as the father has loved me. So I have loved you. And here it is. There's our word abide in my love, abide in my love, live in my love, stay in my love, be in my love. And then verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, and a great verse, an amazing verse, a wonderful thing that Jesus gave us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I just need to say it that for the follower of Jesus, our essential approach to life needs to be one of joyful optimism. And I mean, 
There's no other way to slice it. I can't deny it. We were born in Jesus for joy. We were. He gave us his word so we could be filled with joy. The way of Jesus is not a, a defeated way. It's, it's, it's not a, a dark path full of shadows. It's, it's not meant to be something stifling and inhibiting. It's, it's not meant to be something we endure or that we're dour about or, you know, somehow we're just going to grit our teeth and do the best we can to follow the rules. No, no, no. It, it, it's not that it, it doesn't have anything that resembles truth and boundaries. And yeah, there are rules that we're, we're reminded of. But in the end, this is about relationship. And honestly, it's about God wanting to fill our lives with his joy. And because we were born for it in Christ, right? Because Jesus was full of joy. And that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that we pretend things are great when, when they are not. It's not, a, it's not a command to put on a happy face and fake a smile. Again, it's not, it has nothing to do with living in denial. I mean, the Lord wants us to be authentic and real. But it is an invitation. It really is an invitation to draw from something that we cannot even get on our own. A gift of God, a product of his spirit, something Jesus wants us to have. He's talking about a joy that defies the law of emotional gravity. Yeah, you heard me say that right. We're talking about a joy that defies even the law of emotional gravity. Because sometimes we're not going to feel great. We're talking about something that's heavenly, something that comes from another dimension, something that's mysterious, something that flows to us from the grace that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our guide, our good shepherd, right? And I think it's really important to appreciate the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is mostly dependent on what is happening around us or, listen, what is not happening around us. So it's very dependent on circumstances. But joy, at least from a biblical perspective, seems to be a gift, a state of being that allows us to, to soar above, yeah, even our adversity, almost like an eagle in the sky. When people have real joy, they can, as I have observed, endure enormous pressure and withstand withering fire while all the while retaining a kind of vital optimism that flows out of the deep places of the soul because there is a cultivation of the inner world and a joy that is planted deep within it. It allows for us to endure things well in our outer world. You see the connection there. And I actually think, that kind of joy, the joy that Jesus is talking about that he wants to give us actually shows up. And I know this is going to, well, it actually shows up most beautifully when things are actually bad and are not great or hard. And all of a sudden we feel the joy of the Lord becoming our strength. And when that happens in the crushing place, the only way I know how to describe it is it feels like you're, you're standing on sacred ground. Like you got to say with Moses, you know, what's going on here, Lord. And he says, take off your feet, your shoes off your feet for you're standing on holy ground. I personally believe that God wants us to be happy 
and joyful, both. But the reality is that there are going to be occasions in our life when it's going to be hard, exceedingly hard. And maybe, maybe, hear me out, I know, but it may even be inappropriate to be happy. Because remember, the Bible teaches us that there are times when it's, it's, it's right, it's appropriate to mourn. There's a time, we're told in the scriptures, to weep and, and grieve. And Jesus himself wept and grieved. I mean, this is, you know, you can't say, oh, he was happy while he was grieving and weeping. I mean, that's part of what it means to be human. And I, I don't think God wants us to not deny those moments. And yet, even when that's happening below the surface, there can be a kind of residing joy that surges on even when the surface shows no sign of it. The, the, or, and, the, and the situation may have no rationale for it, but underneath, underneath, there is this surging of joy that though it is not necessarily seen, it is there. Keep that in mind. Let's watch what Jesus says. He says, this is my commandment. And he's talking to his disciples again, right on the edge of the cross. And he says, this is my commandment. And he gives them this beautiful reminder Wow, he's in the midst of preparing to carry everything, to experience sin and forsakenness of the Father. And, and the weight and the warfare that's taking place at a spiritual level is intense. He pauses to give them these words, and these words are meant for you and me as well. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I mean, what a command. I mean, is this not the essence of the Jesus way? to love one another as he has loved us. Then Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And I think you can hear it in those words. You can hear the cross because that's exactly what Jesus was about to do for them and for all of us. But then he verges off into another path and he pivots off the word friends, right? That, Someone would lay down their life for their friends and he, he pivots off of the friends and he shifts the focus and he starts talking about what it means to be his friend and about the kinds of things that friends do and about the privilege of friendship in contrast to being a servant. Look what he says here in verse 14. He says, and you are my friends if you do what I command you and no longer do I call you servants? Because the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all that I have heard from my father. Listen, I have made known to you. Do we see, do you see how at the core of the Christian life is about relationship? It's about more than just being a servant. It's about more than just doing our duty. It's about undeserved intimacy. It's about access and understanding. Because think about it. What is he saying? A servant does what they are told. As one commentator suggested, servants obey because they have to. But friends obey because they want to. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and in a way to all of us, listen, I've shared my thoughts with you and what I know, what my father has told me, what I've, <laughs> what I've done is I've included you in the family business, not as detached outsiders, but as friends and confidants. I've, I've opened up my heart to you. 
I've taken you into the why. And someday I want you to follow in my steps and share in this kingdom work, not simply as someone who's sent doing only what they've been told, but as one known and loved sharing in the work of my father, as if it were your own. I mean, Jesus is already looking past the cross through the resurrection. He's looking into the future and he's saying, I want you to share in this work that I've sought to show you um, how it is, it's done unto my father. And I want you to do the same same, same thing. And I've, I've tried to show you this and I want you to carry it on and I want to give you everything that I, I can give you to help you accomplish that. And then he says, and remember this. Oh, look at this. He says, and remember, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, ab there it is again, abide so that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. It's, it's like Jesus says, look, and you didn't come looking for, for me as much as I found you just like Abraham of old. I've called you out to follow me. I've called you loved one. And he would say this to you, his beloved son and you, his beloved daughter. I've called you and appointed you to bear fruit. I've called you to make a difference for me. And in fact, I invite you to pray for it. There it is. And, and, Ask with confidence and assurance, knowing that when you ask according to my will, it will be done. Right. And then, and then he book ends his words with a reminder again, to love look verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another, love one another. This is no option. It's like Jesus was saying, look around you, look around you, listen. Maybe he was, maybe he had Judas on his mind. I don't know. But he said, look around you. I want you to love one another. I want you to, to guard your unity. <laughs> Almost like he was saying, it's going to be tested sooner than you think. In fact, it's being tested even now. And a couple of things I want us to consider. One is this. Just hear me out on it how we approach our friendships and key relationships matter. You know, we are to be good friends, faithful friends, uh, loyal, loving, and true because Jesus talked about loving one another, right? He talked about being a good friend and, and so much of the fruit that God wants us to bear has to do with relationships and how we relate to people and how we love people whom he's given us to love and, and the kinds of friends that we are to people he's placed into our lives. You know, we, I've heard it said, we are to be like the friend we want to have. <laughs> That's the best way. We are to be like the friend we would love to have. The scripture reminds us that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And what a blessing to have a friend or two who won't abandon us when we make a, a mess of things. And we will from time to time. I mean, we're incredibly capable of messing things up. We are, uh, I know that both theoretically and experientially, I've known what it's like to disappoint 
people who, who I love and I know love me. I know what it, what it's like to, to make uh, mistakes and poor choices and to react when I should have been responding out of a context of love. And yeah, but what a blessing to have people in our lives who won't abandon us when we do make a mess of things. And I always talk about how God can take our messes and make out of them a message. But part of the way he does that, I think, is by placing people in our lives who support us and pray for us and stick with us, even sometimes when we don't deserve it. I mean, you know what a gift that is. And when you've experienced loyalty, loyal love, it's, uh, it's impossible to forget it. At least we never should. You know, it's, it's always easy to tell who our true friends are <laughs> because adversity tends to reveal them, right? Everybody's friendly in the sunshine, but when things are really hard, we get to see where our, our, our true friends are. And I remember reading something that G. Campbell Morgan wrote about friendship. He said this, this is a poetic way that he, he wrote it. He says, it is a little difficult in June days to distinguish between the acquaintance and the friend. We have to wait till November and December. <laughs> it's not easy to know your friends when the sea is smooth and reflects the, hev the heavens blue. You will find them when the sky is overcast and you're in peril. Friendship is tested by tempest. Whew. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we are to make deposits into our relationships when we are well, because those deposits will show up down the road. The time to build a friendship, the time to make friendship, the time to invest into community and, and love, love with others following Jesus is not when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's before the crisis hits. And that's one of the reasons why we also, those of us who are married, you know, to our husband and our wife, those of us who have experienced the promise of love in Christ, we, we need to remember that that's a sacred gift that God has given us and it will have huge meaning uh, when things are hard to stay together in unity and in love and loyal love is a gift. It's a gift worth more than rubies. It's a gift of great beauty. It's a great gift that cannot be purchased. So don't, don't injure. <laughs> Lord, help us not to injure the ones we should be loving the most. And help us to give uh, forgiveness and to not hold grudges in our heart and to be a good friend, to, to walk the way of Jesus, right? To do that well. And we thank you even now, Lord, for those you've placed into our lives whose love means so much to us and without whom our life would be far less rich than it is. Yeah. And of course, there's one more thing here. I need to say it. I do. Jesus, he's the best friend we can ever have. I mean, he's talking about friends laying down their life. No one ever did it more beautifully than Jesus. <laughs> he's the best friend we can ever have. Why? Well, well, for one, his love is ever faithful ever faithful. I mean, fully committed love. He loves us even in 
our unfaithfulness, even in our stubbornness, even in our pride, even in our unthinking foolishness that we're capable of getting ourselves into trouble all the time. And we don't even try sometimes when we're, we're walking disobedient. I mean, he keeps talking to us about how if we love him, we're going to do what he says. And yet a lot of times we, we don't. And, uh, you know, our love breaks, but his does not. He loves us still. How good is that? I was thinking about our Lord's loyal love and, well, the words of Shakespeare, love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. Love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. It, uh, it's really not dependent on the other. It's not. It's like it doesn't break when the person disappoints me. It's love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. It just keeps on. It keeps on. It keeps on. That's the love of God. His love is loyal love, but it's also true love. He will not lead us astray, uh, nor will he avoid the hard truth. Uh, he will not tell us all is well. God won't do that when it is not. He will not pretend all is right when it is not. That's not love, by the way. Love is not pretending something is good when it's not good. Love is not saying, oh, it's great when it's not. That might help cover someone's feelings. And I'm not saying we should be insensitive to the way we say something, but love doesn't, doesn't hide when it sees. Love contends. Love is willing to risk. Love does what Jesus does. Love challenges us to grow. His, he challenges us to grow and to do better and to walk in his love increasingly, to surrender things that will pull us away from him and destroy us. That's what his love does. It doesn't say, oh, just do whatever you feel like, you know, just go your own way. You're just loved. No, that, that's not the kind of love that Jesus was talking about. Look, look how much he's connecting the idea of abiding and walking in the truth of his love. He's, he's, it's all over this chapter. You have this total loyal love of Christ, and yet it doesn't dumb that love down. It doesn't water it down. It doesn't reduce it to just accommodation. It actually is a love that contends for us to walk in his ways and to literally surrender the things that would pull us away from him. I mean, he contends for us to let go of some things because those things, if we keep holding on to them, are going to pull us away from his love, and he doesn't want that to happen. Sometimes what happens is the Lord can see that if we don't let go of this thing, if we don't surrender it to him, if we don't yield it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill us. And so he's going he's gonna to come after us. His love pursues. It really does. I have felt the pursuing love of God, right? That, that hound of heaven on my trail when I've walked down the wrong street or been drifting away. He's just on me, just like he's on some of us right now. That relentless love pursuing us, you can hear it. You know, he even will discipline us if necessary. I've seen that too. I mean, he'll break us to save us if he has to, because he loves us. But even then, even then, our best friend's hand is gentle. It is. Gentleness, I've heard someone described, well, I've heard it described by someone as strength that is held in check. Gentleness 
is strength that is held in check. And I just, and you just me thinking about the Lord and the way he loves us. You know, the Lord could crush us. He could, but he doesn't. He doesn't. I was thinking about Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11 from the NLT. It says this, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power and he will rule with a powerful arm. There it is, power. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Part of the reason I just absolutely love this passage is because it captures both the power of God and the gentleness of God and the kind of love he has for you and me. Isn't that so good? A poem called Behold a Stranger at the Door, written by a man named Joseph Grigg, way back in the 1700s. <laughs> he said this, Behold, behold a stranger at the door, he gently knocks, has knocked before, he has waited long and is waiting still. You treat no other friend so ill. But will he prove a friend indeed? He will. The very friend you need. <laughs> the friend of sinners. Yes, tis he with garments dyed on Calvary. And I love the wordplay there. So what shall we do then to nurture this friendship that we are invited to have with Jesus? His loyal love invites us into a place of intimacy, not as an outsider, but as someone who's brought into his story, into his plans, into the father's plans, into the father's kingdom, and I want to really close this time by returning to something I shared last week about how we can practically speaking abide. And I just, and I wrote these words out and I wanted you, I wanted to share them with you to abide in Christ involves learning how to hear his voice. So it's, it's to do with voice recognition. It involves sharing our heart with him and asking for more of his. It involves sitting with his words and hiding them consistently deep within. There's that inner life, that inner world, pondering them, honoring them, and yeah, sharing them. It's important that we do that. It means seeing ourselves as a beloved son or a daughter and, and then acting out of that reality. And then I would add one more thing. It means also living in the security of his love, living in the assurance of it, so that we are settled of soul, whew, full of optimism, and listen, irrepressibly hopeful, <laughs> remembering that he is not only our Lord and Savior, he is our best friend forever. Our best friend forever. How good is that? So I have one more thing to share with you on the backside of our special. I do wanna take a moment to remind all of you uh, about a couple of things. Don't forget uh, about the daily devotional that I offer uh, six days a week. We do as a church. It's called Rise and Shine. It's pretty easy for it to be sent to you. If you actually download our Cornerstone app and enable the notifications, it'll be sent to you in the morning. And uh, it's just a little way for us to stay connected and to stay blessed and to just be able to keep our hearts growing together as followers of Jesus, as friends, right? But I also want to remind everybody about, and it's the time that I get to do it, about our giving. And uh, this is for our church family. 
all of you who are part of that church family, remember, you can send in your tithes, your offerings. It matters. It's important. It says a lot about you and what your heart is. You can do it by sending that into our offices. You can go online or you can go through the app that I just talked about. That's what I do. But like I say, before we ever do that, let's give him our heart. Now, we're going to share a song that uh, is connected to this idea of staying close to the Lord and allowing him to be near to us as an intimate friend. So here we go.
in close, I see. I am in you and you are in me. The Lord invites us to abide with him. He invites us to not only have his words abiding in us, but for us to abide in him, to find ourselves under the shelter of his wings. We are invited to be not just a servant doing his bidding. I wanna do that. I wanna have a servant's heart always because Jesus modeled that, but he also calls us into a place of friendship. He wants us to have a relationship with him that is honest, authentic, real, and something that will be able to endure anything that life throws at us. What a friend we have in Jesus. Even when this life of ours is hard or comes to its closing hours, we need not be afraid, not afraid of anything. The Lord is with us. Our friend will walk right with us from this life into the next. Let's stay close, let's stay in love. May the Lord keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. And may you never forget that you have your best friend in Jesus.